All right. Hello, everyone. Happy Wednesday and welcome to another episode of Crypto with English. Now, I have to say this episode has been a long time waiting, but we're finally here and I'm very excited. I'd like to introduce you all two very special blockchain leaders, <clears throat> Linda Getz and Tracy Levine. Now, Linda Getz is the co-founder and VP to the board of directors at the Blockchain Chamber of Commerce. So for anybody using LinkedIn and you're in this space, blockchain and cryptocurrency, uh, you have certainly seen this organization and company pop up on your feed. And they're doing some very informative, meaningful, substantial things in this space. And she's the co-founder of DFM Data Corp. And... Tracy Levine, she's the president of the board of directors at the Blockchain Chamber of Commerce, and she's a Forbes Coaches Council member and the CEO of Advantage Talent. And by the way, and to be as modest as possible, or maybe not, this is just the tip of the iceberg. These are two very well-accomplished guests, and I consider them friends of mine as well. Very excited. We're really going to get into the weeds of future-proofing, what you need to know, and some of the other issues surrounding blockchain and cryptocurrency that need to be addressed for people who want to do meaningful, serious things in this space. So thank you both for coming on. <clears throat> Excuse me. Absolute pleasure. And I, I have to throw a little awareness building into the mix because Tracy is one of those very unassuming people who at 21 was managing $11 billion for Credit Suisse on Wall Street. She was a phenom and she's only accelerated from there. So we're, we're very thankful to have her in a leadership role leading the Blockchain Chamber of Commerce. It's, it's been a tremendous ad and um, just a very, very positive global impact. So thank you, Tracy. Well, I'm just happy to be brought into this ecosystem, which um, brings me to a sort of funny question for Adam. What happened script. I like it already. <laughs> <laughs> what happened in your life that you're now on LinkedIn talking to somebody who's only I'm on the edge of Gen X and baby boomer on LinkedIn instead of the where you hear from media, the cool kids are. How what what happened that you're here talking to me? And Linda well, is much younger. Let me be clear. <laughs> well, that's a very interesting question. Well, I'm turning 37 on February 15th. And as far as what brought me to LinkedIn, well, I will tell you this. When I was putting together content involving, you know, blockchain and cryptocurrency, I originally started on TikTok. And I have to say, as, you know, somebody who kind of missed a good chunk of that and also a parent, I don't understand a lot of its appeal. So I did use it for, you know, three to four months. And I was making four, you know, four or five minute, I guess you could say informative clips on different things happening in the blockchain space. And the good thing about that was uh, serious audience members did happen to find it. The bad thing about it was, is that anytime I opened the app, I was just completely bombarded with stimulation overload type nonsense. Uh, and, you know, to be honest, I, I, I could only look at it for like five seconds at a time. And, you know, I think even five seconds is a long time for a lot of those videos as well. But, you know, one of the things I sought out to do is um, make 
this blockchain and cryptocurrency space, whether it's on a live stream podcast or something else, as meaningful and as important as possible. And as somebody who's a little bit older, one of the things I didn't like was a lot of the influencer approach to this space. I think blockchain in general, it is there is so much more to this than Bitcoin and Bitcoin price movements. And by the way, Bitcoin is a very promising technology in of itself, but the ultimate you know, the ultimate success is going to be in really the other 99% of this iceberg, uh, you know, of, you know, blockchain and cryptocurrency and, you know, Web3 in the, in the metaverse and, and whatnot. So, you know, one of the things I sought out to do is make this as relaxing, informative and thoughtful. And, you know, and so I made it a point to put a lot of research into the questions I ask and into the backgrounds of the guests who come on. And one of the things I sought out to do, I wanted to have guests who would come on who were accomplished, industrious, and have something to offer as far as insight and wisdom in this space. And one of the things I sought to avoid was, A, taking an influencer approach. So doing something that's five seconds, throwing very superficial knowledge out there, and it essentially becomes like mental fast food or, you know, mental potato chips where you're, you know, you'll keep watching it, but you're never really full. And it's like, you don't really know what's going on, you know? So, and, and I also made it a point candidly to not actually have influencers come on to the show because I don't think it's helpful. And, and this isn't to knock anybody specific, but if I was to kind of throw some observations out there, if you're going to have an influencer come on and twerk and talk about Bitcoin price movements, you know, whereas this technology is already very controversial to begin with, you're not going to be winning over people in the long run, you know, for that. And, and I think the audience that you're going to attract is really going to be of the same competence as the content you put out there. So, you know, for me, I made it a point for doing the live stream. I really wanted to seek out professionals, leaders, entrepreneurs, and risk takers who, if I have them come on, we can have a great discussion and get into the minutia and nuances of things. And in fact, you know, I'll have to take a little trip down memory lane here. Linda Getz was the first person I actually networked with in this space when I started out. So this was in January of last year. I had a conversation over Zoom, I believe. And from that conversation, uh, Linda already went out of her way to network on my behalf and mm -hmm. help, uh, you know, essentially create and effectuate introductions on my behalf, which ended up being very, very helpful as far as putting this, you know, project together. And one of the things I noticed about this space, there is an inclination of people to want to work together and collaborate. Yeah. And you don't see that in many spaces. Uh, you certainly don't see that in law. That's for sure. So if this is the natural inclination of people here, I think there's a lot of hope and promise. And I think, you know, and I think for as far as blockchain, I do believe a lot of people enjoy long form type interviews and long form type podcasts and live streams, something you can kind of relax to while you're, you know, starting your day or you're exercising or something like that. Like, for instance, I can't watch a TikTok video if I'm running. I can't. It is too distracting. I'm going to lose my focus and I'm just going to be like, what did I just, what did I just look at? But if it's a good, like a uh, audio or a good podcast, 
yeah, I'll, I could I can kind of just stay in the zone and kind of uh, I guess you could say uh, subconsciously learn and uh, you know acquire information as I'm as I'm listening to this. So when I saw the blockchain chamber of commerce, first and foremost, it was coming up on my feed very frequently. And for people I know, the blockchain chamber of commerce was also coming up on their feeds a lot too. And after doing my research. I really saw that this organization, this group, this company is doing meaningful, substantial things in this space. And it's not just surface value type, uh, type things, which I don't think are going to be too helpful you know, in the end. And like I said, and this is not to knock all influencers, but from a lot of the things I see out there, if it's, if it's all flash and no substance, ultimately, I don't think you're going to win over people. And I think if you want to win over people, and I do believe in this technology, you need to have serious professionals who enjoy this and are <laughs> seriously vested in this, you know, um, you know, and like, and like I said, influencers have reached out to me and I, and it's been a polite no on my, on my part to be very, very candid about it. I, I well, love I'm going to laugh because I'm going to call out Alex in the chat. Cause I love it. And yes, you can torque. And there are lots of wonderful young entrepreneurs <laughs> on LinkedIn. And that's actually why I asked um, Adam the question, because yeah. the point is when we look at this, I'm a future work um, data scientist and Linda and I'm going to put this out there for everybody to hear knows more about blockchain and cryptocurrency and the actual technologies out there. But I view everything through probably the Alex lens and the future of work lens. And so I, I ask you that is when people in the blockchain chamber of commerce, we get a lot of questions about crypto. I always go back to, you know, where does crypto blockchain and everything fit in? And to Alex's point, if you look on, um, LinkedIn, they've switched to a creator economy. So the question becomes why? There's been some interesting statistics that came out that predicted all of this was going to um, happen. So if you look at the statistics, the last report put out by the World Economic Forum predicted that 70% of the people in the United States would be freelance, gig worker, solopreneur, small business owner, whatever you want to name yourself, but you would not be getting a W-2 paycheck in the traditional way going up a hierarchy. And that was before things started speeding up. So the other statistic that was really interesting in all of this was that by 2025, that was going to be the year. Now, remember, this is pre-COVID that that was going to be the tipping point where machines did more work for corporations than people. So you pop in COVID, all of this starts speeding up. So something that didn't really make the news everywhere on LinkedIn, Google announced, I guess it's been two weeks now because everything's been running in. They have more employees that work outside of their company than inside their company. So we're, we're going to a world where there is a ticking time of the traditional jobs of, you know, depending on who you read, it's, you know, 375 million to 800 million jobs that will disappear by 2030. And people like to tell you all day long, oh, they're going to have new jobs and they're going to be new things. But those new things are going to be like the young entrepreneurs that Alex talks about in the timeline. And there's another um, piece that's a little bit interesting in all of this is that, you know, depending on who you talk to, second graders today 
over in the statistic, and I keep finding different ones because people are running at anywhere from 40 to 53% of them will never be paid a penny from a corporation, whether it's W-2, freelance, or as a vendor to them. So it's going into wow. this sharing economy. And so when you look at LinkedIn, and this is where you got to know that they have better data than me than what I'm scraping off the internet, they're flipping to a creator economy. And so in an entrepreneur economy and the way they started getting the younger groups on, they did bring in an influencer. They brought in Gary V because that was a way for to bring an audience over. But he is no longer the audience because they have to create a product to keep them on there. And if you look at this creator economy and I promise, guys, I'll get to crypto and blockchain and everything else because it all ties sure. in together. Um, so if you look at what happens, an influencer can get you there but they cannot keep you there. Interesting. And, and I really, um, it, when I talk about crypto, the questions I ask Linda is because I feel like the cryptocurrency piece has been in the Fin influencer. You could have Elon Musk talking sure. about it, but if you actually look at Elon Musk, he never follows the crowd. And what's the biggest skill? <laughs> he follows what he sees as the next thing. And so yeah. when we think about cryptocurrency and I'm going to ask Linda a lot of questions and y'all probably won't hear a lot from me going forward. But when we look at crypto, they're in the awareness adoption phase. And so it takes Fin influencers to get them there. But at the end of the day, I don't care who is hawking it or who is telling you about it. You need the um, influencers when people can't see your obvious value. That's the education phase. And you could get them to try it. So crypto, if you look at it, you know, people investing in it because there's a little FOMO. It's gone up what last year, 150 percent more people touch crypto than the year before. But they're not going to stay in crypto unless crypto answers the question. Can you pay my rent? Can you pay my bills? And right. it does matter how cool the technology is because here's the other piece of it that makes me a little bit linda laughs at me because i challenge when people go oh my god number one it's going to make all of these people make money and it's going to get rid of the middleman but every middleman just like um rpa and robotic process automation wiped out whole divisions all those yeah. people have to make a living and guess what all the creators who were first to the play now LinkedIn has flipped their ecosystem because there were more people who registered last year on their portfolios as small business owners or CEOs, which doesn't mean anything because they're trying to get into the new world with the old titles. Right. Right. And so what, when we think about crypto and blockchain technology, the question has to become, okay, I'm here. I've tried it. What does it mean? And so I'm going to ask Linda a question because these are the type of dialogue that we have. And I want y'all to get an insight into we talk differently about the same things. And so I said to Linda, because I understand the possibilities of all these things. And I came off Wall Street because when there was not as many assets so the, today, everybody will take whatever digital asset you have if they can make money. Sure. And I said to Linda one day, because I'm watching the news and I go, I don't want to be paid in city coin. Can I be clear as a small business person <laughs> right. the thought of the taxes and I have to read a white paper to understand whether this is something I actually want to put oh, on yeah. my feet while I'm running my business, because here's the other statistic. And if anybody hasn't um, looked at 
CNBC Make It and Entrepreneur Magazines, the, the stories are not about the Bill Gates of the world. It's about couples who have four to six streams of income to make $10,000 to $12,000 a year. So I'm asking Linda, well, I'm making my you know multi streams of income because now I have to have all the departments to run my business, market my business, upskill, pay for my own learning and development. Why do I want, how do I, like, my, can we talk city coin? Because I, when I hear city coin and in crypto, I'm like, what opportunity? There's 10,000 of them. I can't even decide whether to use Canva or Adobe or Restream or Zoom to put my content out. Can you help right, me? Right. And so I'm going to throw that to Linda because we had that question to her. I learned things about black boxes linda and i'm going to throw this over to you she's reading the white paper and i asked a question on linkedin because everybody keeps telling me it's all obvious if i read the right the white paper i could figure out which ones are the fraud and i wouldn't have to look at the famous people like kim kardashian telling me it's the right one so i'm going to turn it over to linda because uh. i want her to address the fud because right now just like linkedin is having to change their creator economy gary v right. got young there they have to have a platform that actually helps entrepreneurs make money young old middle whatever yeah and so linda go i'm gonna stop and that's where i'm going with this well i'm, I'm gonna sound like tracy by saying that nearly half actually 45 percent of millennials say that their financial situation prevents them from getting what they want in life right and that's that's according to morning consult state of consumer banking and payments report and that's more than the overall share of adults, which comes in at 35% of them saying that they feel that way. Like they're, they're not able to get what they want out of life because of their financial situation. And millennials, have, and I actually come in the very, 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 very first year of millennials that you can find on any of the, the charts. So that's how much younger I am than Tracy. Um, the, the millennials have had two major recessions that they've already faced in their lifetime and they're about to face a third. And many of them have children that are about to begin to enter the, the workforce. This is a time of uncertainty and there's a lot of solutions that are being thrown out as a way to solve for the pain points of inflation, which we're, we're seeing some people say skyrocketing, some people say catching up with the um the money printing you know there's a lot of yeah. perspectives around you know maybe maybe we should throw it all at the supply chain professionals that are just jacking up the costs of containers <laughs> you know, I mean, really you can you can take as many right. different viewpoints as you want but the reality is when my little happy butt goes into Publix, i'm finding that my eggs cost almost twice as much as they did last year i'm finding yep. that things that were just like okay of course i'm getting that i'm looking at it going do I really want that vegetable at five bucks? I'm not right. sure, you know, I'm going to put that in, in my okay, dish. Linda, you know what question I'm going to get ready to ask you. How do we get rid of Tether? Because I think it is all these stable coins and Tether and all these people are adding to inflation and our government cannot fix it until we start playing nice together because now we have money going held in reserve, just like what caused the housing bubble recession in 2008 was repo and repurchase agreements, where it was people on top of um, instrument upon instrument being tied back to originally a treasury, but then they started lapping and cutting the amount you had to have the underlying security. Weren't, weren't you so in the room, Tracy, when repos were like originated? 
Yeah, I was in when <laughs> some of the first states and it was really conservative. So when you think about um, cryptocurrency, and Linda does bring up a good point, I think the original cryptocurrencies had a more, even though it was very radical what they were doing, it they had a more conservative structure around them because they had to be a little bit more aware of what was the outcome to get people to even play in this, no matter why they came. And that what you're seeing now in the crypto market and the reason why you're seeing all the regulation, it's going to that bubble burst. And so if you look on Wall Street View and the future of work and companies, while there's opportunity, what they're worried about is going to be a subprime bust for people who are the new people investing in all these cryptocurrencies who did not get in early and are not making the same returns. And so there's this reaction because um, people are investing what they can't lose. And to Linda's point, you know, somebody losing what seems like a little bit on paper, but they don't have to lose it because they can't buy their groceries, their eggs, their milk. It doesn't, there are a number of things that are contributing to all of what's going on. But that's where, you know, the discussion I want to have today is because like entrepreneurs, you know, you see, want to know how to get paid. And so let's talk about the early adopters of cryptocurrency. Um, Walmart knows that the people who have the blockchain technology know-how, that the first adopters, they know that they want Bitcoin because they've done very well in Bitcoin. So they're offering $10,000 in U.S. cash if you will move to Arkansas and be involved in Bitcoin and their development right. of the food trust, which the FDA has dropped money in. Are, are they offering 10,000 cash or 10,000 in Bitcoin? $10,000 in Bitcoin. But for just so you guys know, you can give that out there. But for them, they have to put a dollar amount on it. Because in the United States, the fair labor laws right now say that you can only be paid in cash and with stock and options. Bitcoin is one of the ones they're looking at adding. And the reason why they're doing that, it gets back to my original question, how you get paid and what you get paid in matters. Absolutely. Because, I'm going to come back. I'm gonna because come back that's why to I want to get to Linda, because what yeah. you don't want is big peoples and cities telling you what matters to them and you must get paid in what they want to pay you in. And that's yeah, what the fair labor laws yeah says, you know, people may have been bartering chickens and eggs all day long, but it doesn't say you could get paid in cash, chicken, eggs, and stocks <laughs> and bonds. And the reason why it's stocks and bonds is because stocks and bonds has a very regulated market, which people hate when I say that word, but people can understand it. And right. a stock and bond, I don't have to read a white paper to know whether what's what, what the black box is and all these words Linda's been teaching me. Like, I don't have to be an expert. And so when you tell me in crypto, we're taking out the middleman who would be the person I would call who's the expert to explain this to me. I'm like, how am I winning? Because I'm more confused because there's 10,000 cryptocurrencies and now there's city coins. And I'm right. going to think my head just exploded. <laughs> and the, you're, you're absolutely right. There, there was at the foundation of the initial blockchain implementation of the Bitcoin blockchain there was a very, very different purpose for its implementation than there has been in many. I, I mean, I say many as in the majority of projects that have followed on top of it. And we, we had Ethereum come to the table, you know, great benefit of smart contracts. You know, now we have programmable NFTs. I mean, there's the innovation that was sparked is, is tremendous. 
and the the implementation by enterprise by small business i mean it it's it's exponential um year on year of of where this technology has taken innovation however there have been huge pain points and 2017 was one of the first times you know going into 2018 where people got into this hype cycle bubble and you know people were getting bags of you know xyz or xrp or you know any of the x's you want you know and and you know they they were losing because they bought into hype didn't do their due diligence didn't understand you know who the team was why they were doing what they were doing what the token actually represented or what the coin actually was and they didn't manage their emotions or their assets in a way that preserved or grew their value and so yes people have been burned um we've had you know just in this past year an nft run um where everybody wants a board ape and nobody can afford one anymore unless you're one right. of the ones to get in and um you know there's there's a lot of um innovation that's actually coming out of that because people are going to blockchains that don't require gas fees like ethereum has gas fees and you know you could you could actually be able to claim an nft and not be able to afford the gas to actually transfer it into your wallet right and, and so i'm going to i'm going to embarrass myself linda because linda had to educate me on all this and so i'm going to tell a story that i told linda i didn't mean to interrupt right Y'all, I don't know who's listening or who will listen to this in the future, but in my generation, we remember that stupid thing where Katie Couric is like, what's the at? What does that mean? At whatever? I, oh, oh, the web. I think it's some sort of thing where we blah, blah, yeah, blah. I remember. And yeah. so I didn't want to be Katie Couric. Let me be clear. So I go there and I'm going to go claim my equivalent of the URL in the new world. So you go over there and they, and was it, is it your dot, dot e address? <laughs> what is it? Dot E N. What is it? Dot E N. Dot E E T H. Dot E T H. And I start going down this and I'm thinking, I'm like, what do you mean? And so the first thing they make it sound like, oh, just, you know, I'm thinking it's like a URL, eight bucks. Gotcha. Cheap domain. I'm going to go take my name. It's not that famous. I'm not trying to take at payday or something like that. Well, if you actually go through the whole process, depending on the time of day because of the gas fees, that's a $500 bet. And I think, you know, when we think about all the innovation that Linda, Linda talks about, it keeps having the start stop because nobody knows where to enter and what piece of it. And the thing that Linda and I want to talk about is where are the opportunities for those who have high tech skills, low tech skills, and who you know, who are going to be basically what I call day traders, which everybody hates that. But if you're holding and trading crypto, you're basically a day trader uh, or a trader of an asset. Are you going to be a creator? Are you going to be somebody who still, you know, is in there in some way and get paid in it? Are you more of a passive, you know, as it gets adopted? And one of the things with the future of work looming over in a creator market where people are going to have to make more and more decisions um, I think people like Linda, what she's talking about, not everybody could do a board ape and the 13 year old, I love that their dad took out a loan because he's a big executive and they can bit mine and or earn money every month. Yes, they are smart and they know how to program. Right. But my question to Linda and all the people, when we look at this, where people are on LinkedIn because Gary V brought them over, 
because they want to get in the creator market. They want to make money and they want to know right. how to plug in and they want to understand, you know, beyond, yes, people diversify their assets and you could diversify nifties, whatever digital asset or whatever you want or crypto. What is some advice, Linda, you could give somebody who's looking at all of this, who, number one, I ask her every day, I want to know how to do a nifty. And then when I found out that Adobe's working on a, you could do Adobe work in it and you just hit the save button and that's a nifty. So I don't want to do a nifty anymore because I don't have artistic skills to put something up. Linda, help us in this market. Like the, you know, Alex to the point, he's an, you know, there are young entrepreneurs and there are people coming up after us, going back to my statistic who may, may never get training. They may never know how to run a business. And they're going to be dropped into a market where they are constantly having to upskill, reskill, but they're going to have to curate, create, and communicate so that they can be seen. And they're now going to have, how do I get paid? And where do I put my assets? And can my, whatever I get paid in, buy my groceries? Can it pay my bills? And by the way, can it pay for my free time? Let's be real. That's what I want to know. So, you know, can you help put some shape around this? I mean, if you if you look at what you know, we have currently the the full faith and trust in the dollar. Um, people take that in exchange because there's the expectation that it's going to be able to be used to buy them what they need in the future. And you know, when when I initially purchased Bitcoin back in 2012, um, it, it scared me. Like I, I think I you told like, me this uh, story too. Uh <laughs> Yeah, Actually, real dollars, yeah. right? And the, the whole process was inconvenient and, you know, yeah. kind of like, what what is this really? Um, and, and you end up with a string of letters and numbers and you, you go, how can this preserve value? How can this grow? What is this thing? And, you know, I've spent the last 10 years really better understanding what this thing called blockchain technology is and why it's powerful and why I can look at my Bitcoin like digital gold as a store of value. But the the thing that is frustrating me and, and tagging back into your question about city coins is there, there are people who have chosen to take the solidity, the um, and I'm using a programming language for Ethereum, not in that way. I'm using like solid, um, that definition um, of the Bitcoin blockchain in a way that they're trying to transfer in people's minds the value of a very different token by connecting it in various layers to Bitcoin. And Citycoin is an expression of that where they've taken people quote mining for what they call their stacks token you put in bitcoin like you make a, a yeah. kind of a, a a bid to be the winning miner and right. regardless of whether you win or not your bitcoin is gone and that bitcoin is taken into the the stacks what what i'm saying is a black box because i i haven't fully gotten the the throughput that happens there clear and i mean there's people that are doing their their you know master's research on trying to understand citycoin um you know and and where does the value flow and who has purview over it and who can manipulate it and who can front run it and you know all of these questions if if you're if you're a end consumer for citycoin and 
just to, to give you the little kind of next steps of the progression. If you get the, the STX token, because you're the winning miner, because your bid of Bitcoin was received as the, the highest one, and, and now you get your, your stack of stacks, um, you can take that and put it into another mining process for Citicoin. So you, you kind of bid in again your STX, and if you're the winning bidder, which is really nobody, nobody sees who, well, I say nobody loosely, nobody who's in the process is aware of what level of bids are coming in. And it's just, okay, this, this block of bids came in, you're either right. the, the winning bidder or not, and you get to mint Citicoin, right? That, that's your, your block reward, so to speak. Um, now you have Citicoin and you've gotten into this process because you are a fan of the city of Miami or New York or Austin, Texas. And, and you want your city to get that 30% of the, the STX tokens and create this value of a treasury for the city. Because then the city can take their STX and they can stack it, which is like a, a staking mechanism where the Bitcoin. <laughs> Then the city can earn Bitcoin. Okay, so you understand what we did. We took Bitcoin, we put it into this black box where maybe we got STX. Then we took our STX, put it into another black box where maybe we got Citicoin. And all because we're a fan of our city and we want our city to have Bitcoin. So why the complexity? Where is the real value and where is the value extracted from the system? And is it a sustainable system over time, especially since theoretically the city or anyone who owns STX or the city token can exchange those out of the system into fiat currency? So right. where where is the disconnect? Gonna, here? And here's what I'm going to throw on, on it. I'm going to throw um, a little bit of the old view and go back to what I said. When you take out the middlemen and you make this, you know, supposedly decentralized and nobody can see anything and know anything, the problem becomes, and the reason why the fair labor laws say that you could be paid in cash, stocks, and bonds, or you can pick whatever you want your money in your 401k to be invested in, you know, by the rating of what you're investing in, you're choosing, yeah, I, I, I could do things that are more risky. They And I don't want to use this word to describe that something doesn't have value, but they call things junk bonds when you really can't see anything and you're just putting your right. money in it because you're like, okay, huge rewards if it hits. And it's almost a little bit like gambling, but they have a rating system that even if you're DIY and you don't go to the broker, there is enough information out there that are standardized ratings that let you understand what you're investing your money in so that you can make informed decisions about how you use your balance sheet. And so when I hear Linda talk about all that, can you imagine when you think about scaling technologies around whether it's cryptocurrency or tokens or anything else, if you can't understand it other than some influencer says it's cool, or you can't understand it past the basic lessons that are being put out by a lot of the cryptocurrency um, companies, which are really awesome lessons, but they don't answer the taxes, but they piece of it, but they also don't ask answer, where does this fit in my risk portfolio that if I, as your own personal financial planner or somebody else sitting down saying, you know, at this point in time, I can afford to put more here or there. And that's 
the part when I hear Linda talk about that, like it makes my head explode because I under, I've been licensed in a lot of things and I typically can pick things up. And if I can't understand the risk of some of this, how does a normal person, particularly in a freelance and a creator economy that we're going to, that how do they understand? And let's face it, you know, city coins and stuff like this are going to be coming up more and more because there's shortage of taxes because there's less W-2 jobs feeding into it. And all of the lower level jobs are being automated out. And, you know, and when you think about they're predicting by 2027, what, um, 80, 76 to 80 million jobs will be gone in the U.S. You know, they, they don't have a tax base. That's why they're looking at these alternate um, things. So now if you are a freelancer that's getting paid by the government or where there's going to be money to buy and do infrastructure upgrades, what does it mean to you that you're going to be given this coin that you can't understand the risk on it? And Adam, I hope this is resonating with you and making you. Yeah, I wanted to actually. Yeah, I kind of wanted to throw in where my head was was at. And by the way, I really love the two contrasting uh, schools of thought here. Uh, and I think this is, by the way, I think this is exactly what people do need to hear. Uh, you know, I'm not a Bitcoin maximalist. I, I think I have a very healthy uh, feeling towards it, you know, for better or for worse. And uh, I'm more than happy to criticize it when it when it has to when it's when it's necessary. This is where my head is kind of at. I think when it comes to city coins and I, I could be wrong, I do wonder if there's ultimately going to be some sort of bubble that may that may arise from this when these city coins just start popping up everywhere. And I do think to Tracy, your point, um, I like to think I'm relatively knowledgeable in this area, but I would, I would like to think, I think I'm going to get bogged down by distinguishing what the value is going to be eventually, you know, in this, in the space. And, um, on the other hand too, I will say, um, kind of, I think being, uh, maybe an early, you know, uh, millennial, so to say I was born in 85, but it seems like a lot of the fixtures of the traditional of the traditional financial system have failed and failed in a very big way publicly. I think we're in a period of time where this is probably um, the most apathetic and lowest degree of faith probably people have in our kind of traditional systems. And you know, when uh, when my son was born, I was thinking of buying him treasury bonds, and at first I bought him a bunch, and then I was look, then I really just kind of thought of the interest rates. They were all like. 1.5%, 2%, like the interest rates were terrible. And I'm thinking to myself, like when this matures 20 or 30 years, like, is this even, is this even worth my, worth my time and money? And then I kind of thought on the other hand, well, you know, despite, you know, however people feel about volatility, but you know, there's, there is always opportunity in volatility and that is kind of how you make money a lot of times. And, right. you know, and I, and I think about vehicles of upward mobility, um, I don't think of the traditional instruments anymore. I mean, I wish that wasn't, you know, I, I wish, you know, I, I could kind of. Yeah, Adam, I'm going to, I'm going to give a final. I agree story. with him and I'm going to let Linda Yes, speak. absolutely. Over, over the past 13 years, we have amassed evidence that points to the reality that if you have one to 3% of your investable assets in Bitcoin, it actually reduces the overall volatility of your portfolio. It reduces wow. it. So when people are looking at Bitcoin and go, oh, it just went down 40%, it just went down 60%, and they're seeing that volatility, 
what you also don't talk about when you're in a down market is, oh my goodness, it went up, like Tracy said earlier, 150%. Right. Um, you know, we, we have this growth over time that has been consistent on trend. And with the dollar, we've had devaluation over time. And it's actually baked into the I'm system. I'm going to give the counterpoint on this. <laughs> I, this. This is why Tracy and I play well off each other. And this, this. Is why coming, this is why coming to the chamber is going to help you gain perspective, not from just, I mean, yes, you, you can look at me and go, oh, she was an early adopter. Therefore, she must be a maxi. I'm not a maxi. Just She's not. Love, love the maximalists in the community. And there's there's a lot of positive things that they believe in very strongly. But there there is a balance to how this technology and this value transfer mechanism can and should work. And we're going to hopefully get rid of some of the bad actors that have stepped into the opportunity because it's been a nascent space, because there's lack of regulation, and they've taken advantage of human beings. They have actually extracted value and not provided value in return. So we, we have a very strong balance that needs to be um, come to by seeing multiple perspectives. And I'll pass it back to the, to the uh, Wall Street Tracy perspective. Well, and just so people who don't know me, um, I ran for over 16 years a multi-million dollar business that was technology-based. And, um, and so I'm living in the, I've lived through recessions. I've lived through COVID. I'm have lived through what the millennials are going to have to have as part of their daily life as a majority where I was the minority when I was doing it. So I want to go back to Adam. So let's sure. talk about why nobody has any faith. So when you think about, you know, the generations before you played by the rules, you got a job and you got a bank account. But then we had all these laws and people wanted freedom. So they got rid of everything that regulated the gold town. So let's be real, real banks, their money, they only want your money if you have a lot of money, number one, because they're going to use your money to invest. They're going to take right. what you put in there to make them money. So the old, I need everybody's money is not necessarily a play. Let's just go there and be real, real. And when we look at it, it used to be a other country prob problem um, being unbanked. That means it costs you more money to put your money in a bank because nobody's going to give you a toaster because now they're all Wall Street players, basically. Steak they're knives, not banks. Tracy, steak knives. <laughs> steak knives. <laughs> Linda makes fun of me. Steak <laughs> knives. They're not going to give you all that because it's not working for them either because there were two things going on. And when I came on Wall Street, you have to remember that was a during a time that for companies, that was the first time they thought, oh, my God, I can invest my money in something else. And so all these new products right. were being done. So the bank started, you know, doing lockboxes and doing all this stuff. But the reality is open banking is coming because people can't get to money to start businesses. People can't afford to bank. That's why you had all the payday lending. And that's because the jobs are being automated away and everybody talks about blaming everybody. The bottom line is Google um, got this huge award because they've hit all the climate goals, but they have a red box. If you haven't heard of Just Capital, they have a red box and it says, oops, 
now that you have more people going outside and you've gone green, now we have a people problem because there's no health insurance. There's no reason for banks to give you loans because they can't, they, they gave loans to people to buy houses to get business that they can understand under FICO. So what you guys need to understand in other countries, people who are in the U S listening, um, you may not remember, but you did sign something that says that they can use your social media to give you credit. Now, at first, everybody's going, oh, my God, that is so awful. They're tracking me. They know that somebody who may not have a bank account that is paying their mortgage from month to month may be a better risk than somebody who is has this huge credit rating. And Europe is adopting some of this because they know if you have a child, you're not going to not pay your mortgage. There's going to be something else. And so it's not working because the way in which money is flowing to the majority of people at the rate, even if you have a W-2 job, let's go back to college. 52% of college graduates are working in jobs that no matter what the job says, only needs a high school diploma. And I'm so sorry, I don't know the young lady's name, but on LinkedIn yesterday, there was a young lady at 14 announcing that she just finished the free Salesforce trailhead and earn the certificate. Wow. That's where we are at. This stuff is not college degree. Talk and about competition. Earn, earn the certificate. <laughs> so when I'm telling all the people who are like, oh, I'm so cool, I'm an entrepreneur in the creator economy and I'm the first in, the reason why there's no faith is because when we went global and as we go automated, the same the employer employee relationship has been disrupted. And people got really upset when I wrote that we're going to go to a liquid workforce, the right talent at the right time with the right portfolio. Wow. And that's where we are. And that means for cryptocurrency, nifties, the metaverse, there's a reason why Gartner did not put cryptocurrency in the metaverse and everybody makes it think like they don't think it has a place. They're calling it digital assets. Whether you're a nifty cryptocurrency or token, you're going to have to prove your value and helping Adam, Linda, and Tracy understand that I get to live my life in the real world and the metaverse how I want to live it and create value for me, whatever your whatever it is. People are neutral. You don't have to sell something that works. Right. Does that make sense, Adam? Yeah, I was actually I was actually you know going to ask you this and uh, actually both of you this. So when it comes to, let's say, influencers, what I'm taking from this, and, and for better or for worse, you know, whether you're a more credible, more informative influencer, or maybe you're more of a TikTok kind, this is probably the first component, for better or for worse, and broader understanding, but obviously not the solution, to say the well, least. Well, I'm going to be very careful because I don't want you to misunderstand you. Finn influencers are not allowed. Right now, it is baked in it. Somebody can't stand up and say, I love the stock without right. without transparent stuff. And so what's happening right. is, you know, all these sports players, including Kim Kardashian, no matter. And I'm not going to um, I don't want to talk. We're, bad we're not about calling her a sports player, are we? No, but I she's in that clear. lawsuit, the first lawsuit of Finn influencers. And I want to be very careful because I don't want to put bad motives on her. I think, you know, some of these people who are very early in, they are excited and they want to tell their fans and people have taken advantage of them and said, tell all your fans. And, and what we've got to be careful in this space, this is not the same thing. As oh saying, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> it's not the same thing. Yeah. as saying, Adam, 
I prefer this microphone to do podcasts over another because you right. can go and research everything about every microphone on whatever shopping platform you believe has the best reviews or call up all your friends. And so that's where the fine line is. And the SEC is getting ready to get clearer um, guidelines around this because it, when you look at her and I want to be very careful, I'm not, I'm not assigning motivation for what she's being sued for, but unintentionally what it turned out to be as far as the consumer was a pump and dump where all of these people came in and yeah. they came out. And so we have to be careful <clears throat> in the space. So I want you to hear from Linda and I, we're not, we are cryptocurrency agnostic. We are platform agnostic. We are nifty agnostic. And we see the, also the enterprise uses for blockchain. And that's where this is different. And that's why, Gartner has been very careful. There are different types of digital assets that have the same names also. And so we've got to be careful in this influencer space for people who think they are doing something not harmful. You're benign. Unintentionally, yeah. unintentionally wind up harming people who are their fans that make their money. They make money in their day job from their fans. And so that's where the fin influencers are getting ready to be regulated and different than say Gary right. Vee coming to LinkedIn and saying, come be here. Cause I'm here. Right. And you know, uh, and you know, and I, and I recall the issue with, uh, with Kim Kardashian and, uh, and I guess you could say, you know, crypto tokens and NFTs. And I know she's in this space now looking at it. I, I felt it was a pump and dump. And my feeling is this, anybody who really buys these, either in a small amount or maybe much larger, meaningful amounts. I don't expect any millionaires coming out of this. And I think anybody who is going to get rich from this is probably within, let's say, hypothetically, Kim Kardashian's inner circle with some sort of additional knowledge as far as when to enter and exit. That's what I think. Because I look at this and I'm like, okay, I would never buy this. Like this, this looks like a pump and dump. Informed. You're informed. I'm going to, I'm going to tell because think about Kim Kardashian and I want to be very clear to anybody who's listening. This is not a judgment on her. Right. It's not an indictment on her, but it's just, but here's yeah. what I want to tell you. I'm on Instagram and I don't go in there because it makes me insane. Cause you know what they feed <laughs> right. up to me. Yeah. It's just like inane stuff. So Kim Kardashian, while she had this other thing, she has a nail thing that you dip your nails in. You don't have to go to the salon. So to her, it's just another product. Right. And so we have to do better in educating those we asked to influence in this space also. Right. We have to be better at understanding when we put people forward who come on and say, I'm all Bitcoin, I'm all whatever you want to be. We have to be mindful that that is the role of a financial advisor when there is right. no transparent information. I have Linda. I love Linda. I'm just going to say, I'll call her and I'll go, I don't understand this. And Linda can explain it to me, but people don't have the privilege of knowing Linda gets right. You know, on our day to day. And Linda has a full-time job and is a very successful woman. And so would not have the time to do that, but it's just, you know, that's the piece I wanted to bring to this conversation because in the future and work answering these questions matter. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I think like a lot of things, whether it's cryptocurrency or even just traditional securities, I mean, these things can also be manipulated by by whales. So, you know, whether it's, yeah. you know, even even let's say the largest holders of, of Bitcoin, you know, for instance, you know, they they add 
a lot of weight and they add a lot of leverage as far as which way the wind is going to blow, you know, regarding that. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, if let's say, let's say between us three, we're the three largest holders of Bitcoin. What's to stop us from, let's say, starting our own little consortium of sorts and let's just pull our money together and enter and exit, you know, as we see fit, you know, so we can make, you know, so we can like make profits and, you know, that could apply to Dogecoin or, you well, know, that's or, Norton or anything 360. else. That's Norton 360, right, Linda? Well, it, it's the it's the Federal Reserve and uh, just traditional banking. I mean, this historically, this is what has happened. Whenever there has been value that can be stored or transferred, right. humans and this is the this is the the common um, variable but, here. But it's humans. not humans, Linda. Humans, I'm going to no, humans find how to manipulate whatever system is right. in place at whatever time. And we're at a time frame where systems are shifting and different technology is being made available upon which humans create their schemas to right. extract well, value for themselves or their entity. But let me put another layer on this. And the reason why I brought up Norton 360 AI and machine learning are more powerful than humans. That's why on Wall Street, when you go to trade, you better be somebody who understands either AI, machine learning, and be able to program these algorithms. And the human has to be so sophisticated to, you know, do all of this stuff. And even when I was on Wall Street, it was starting to transition to that. So Tracy was the first human like no, algorithm, no. which is this is why her <laughs> this is why her calculator is in the Smithsonian. Okay. No, so, so, so here's what I want to talk about because but like here's, for real. For real, real. I, 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 what I oh, want wow. to talk about. I, what I want to talk about is when we talk about this, the reason why I brought Norton 360, everybody's talking about the wrong thing. So just like individuals are having to get out of their traditional lane because the traditional yeah. careers don't exist, people like Norton 360 and companies, their job is going away with what's coming with technology. So for those who don't know, you can opt in. And when you're not using their computer, they will go mine Bitcoin using everybody's computer who has their software. And depending on where you live, you don't make wow. money or you break even or you can make a little money. So now we're going to a sharing economy that whatever you have, think about be, uh, Airbnb, whatever you have that you're not using that is an asset your own, they're tapping into that sharing economy where in the creator market, the way you get paid is going to be very different. There's going to be some things paid on your skills and there's going to be some things paid on your assets right. that you're sharing with people and they're tapping into that. So now we have brought in a big company and if people who are trying to find anything to have a piece of income could get into this and even break even. And I'm going to give you a little piece of it or can sure. make 10 cents. They're going to say, okay, Norton 360. And just so you know, they have a free, the company that owns them now has a free group that gives away free virus software that has 550 million users that they can also opt in. So now we have this whole computer AI, ML, tapping into Adam's computer if he says yes, Tracy's computer if she says yes, and Linda's right. computer says yes. And that is going to change everything. So with but, so keeping all this in, oh, I'm sorry, go on. Go ahead, Linda, because I mean, it that's is, a new player that has more power than... It, that it's, a, 
it's a genesis block of a universal framework of things where we're connecting humans into the digital world and rewarding them for what it is that they offer into that infrastructure. And we're going to have examples of that that are across the board, across countries, across verticals. And that that universal framework of all of those ways of extracting value is is going to be our future economy like this is that's just a great example of of a touch point in a beginning place but it's tapping into the human and the yep. human right. need that exists because people need to get paid so that they can buy their groceries pay their bills do we we collectively i hope as humans don't want yeah. to just exist by being given value we want to engage in commerce. Like, right. I, I want to be part of building value. I don't want to just be sucking value from a system. And right. th- this is, I, I hope that the technology can help humans who have the right intentions, who are acting in the, the spirit of, of uh Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Help me, Tracy. Um, Collaboration. Collaboration, altruism. Great great word. Um, A purpose-driven viewpoint that whatever you do, whether you're a business or an individual, that it creates actually good outcomes for all stakeholders. Because, you know, business is... Better together. (laughs) Well, businesses crave stability and as far as the environment in which they work, not necessarily the innovation piece of it, just like humans. Because if we can't figure out in some stable way to understand the sharing economy, the creator economy and what's coming, then all we do is rebel and then we become hunger games and we pick sides like we pick, you know, I'm SEC because I'm living in the South. It's like you pick your SEC football team and, you know, and that team has to win. And what. Um, even though we can gripe about banks and we can gripe about corporate America idealistically because they are there to make money. So some of the things they've done doesn't didn't make money for everybody or leave a path. Sure. But they were at one point in time what made stability because they put capital out in the market or assets out in the market that people can use to live the life that they wanted to live and gave people a way to exist with dignity. And so what's really important about this ecosystem of digital assets that are coming about is, you know, everybody's going to be involved. And that's why, you know, everybody says they're going to own it. Everybody's going to be involved. So it's really important that when whoever the stakeholder is and a sharing economy, if it's sharing or creator economy, or if you wanted the lucky ones to have some awesome skill that everybody wants to hire because only one in three skills now are hired by all 1000 fortune companies. We have to remember that we are in charge of the technology. We are in charge of the systems and we have to leave dignity and respect for everybody. And that dignity and respect cannot live. And one person wins and another person has to lose because in the sharing and creator economy, the promise as a future work person that I see in all the things that Linda and I talk about and the people I've been lucky enough to meet in this ecosystem is if we can responsibly let people be themselves in the metaverse of what are the universal, you know, graph of things or whatever you want to call it, um, or web three, 
then there's a win because now we have a way to push out assets that people can use in their daily lives to pay for what they need to pay for and have the dignity of being able to live their life without begging. And as a future work right. scientist, um, it scares me where some of the conversations are versus where they should be. Right. And by the way, I think that I think, didn't have that time. <laughs> excellent points and very eloquently said. And um, I just wanted to throw in, you know, I wanted to throw in a few things here. Uh, there is a certain cultural shift going on. And I am a firm believer. I think it's really only going to be industry entrepreneurs and startups that are really going to be able to navigate and surmount a lot of these obstacles. And in fact, um, I am a little apathetic towards really a lot of things coming from the U.S. government because it seems to be it seems to me the reflex approach is to regulate and tax and specifically tax. That's I think that's that's more of the issue. And I think to myself, <laughs> this is this is just getting started. Why don't we see how this forms? Why, Why do I have to see? I'm going to challenge you. Why do I have to see? Because the bottom line is you have your hot wallet sure. on an Internet that my taxes paid for. Thank you very much. You're driving on a road to go get your groceries. That is a utility that everybody is paying taxes into. So as we have this alternate market, let's go back to why we have CityCoin. They can't afford to wait around. What do they need to see? They just need to categorize it so that people can make investment decisions. Because the wait and see, because now we have a share sharing and creator economy, it still goes to if you have a garage sale and you earn over a certain amount of money, did you know that's income? That is tax law. So we are not in, I love how people are like, we're in some weird way and they want to taxes. They, what, what I don't like is what Linda and I talk about all the time is just tell me what I'm being taxed for. Yes. And, and why does right, this put right. me in that bucket? Because we can argue it's the wrong bucket. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's, it's defining, it's defining the buckets. And, and yeah. you're looking at somebody who has paid God awful amounts of money in taxes because of crypto gains. So I'm I'm right here going. I'm doing everything in my power to be compliant. I am you know it's aware exhausting. of FIFO versus FIFO. You know, first in, sure. last out, last in, first. Right. I mean, just all of these little technicalities that are in current tax law. If I'm actually being taxed on something that is property, or yep. is it? money now How, where if i transfer it from one wallet to another and i control both wallets do i have to pay oh my goodness coinbase right. charge me taxes from for transferring from coinbase to a personal wallet okay right they, right. they pre-pulled because they thought that i might not pay because i was going to a non-custodial wallet these are the technicalities that are currently not regulated appropriately so right. that consumers like me who are trying to do the right thing right. don't get basically double taxation without representation. We, we have. Right. And I agree with Linda and I'm going to challenge both of y'all because here's what I think the challenge is because I sit in on meetings where, cause I'm future work and I'm going to be, and I sit in meetings where they know that realistically there is no business case for more than for 80% of people within 10 years to work for to be hired by a corporation with what they know, you know, things are dynamic. And right. so then the question becomes, you know, we are already have um, food deserts. We already have yeah. um, hospital deserts. So my challenge to you guys is they don't, the reason why it feels so out of control is 
people are so busy arguing about why or whether they should be taxed, whatever, instead of getting in the game and saying, hey, let me explain to you the difference between, as Linda can very eloquently, between different things, because these people can use the laws that are already written to guide and those laws can be changed, but change takes a while. But just that first step of having people who actually understand the market and understand the nuances like Linda and other people in the ecosystem, there's hundreds we, we of have people amazing. that bring them in. Yeah. They need to be, they need to also not have people lead it based on a political philosophy. It has to be issue-based solutioning around a problem that's going to be regulated whether you like it or not. It's whether you get to be in the discussion and that's right. where we get better about. <laughs> right. And by the way, I think uh, conceptualizing it as, you know, which bucket, I think that's a very good way of, of articulating it. And I guess, um, I guess to go to my gripe and, you know, I think you two would certainly be able to add to this, you know, as far as, you know, whether to regulate and whether to not regulate or decrease regulation. Um, I think this, at least for me, uh, and if I was to provide some context, I remember a time when I was a little kid studying history that, you know, we learned essentially about all the successes and you could say almost the glory of all the industry that came out of the United States, you know, in World War II and after. So reading that as a kid, let's say, uh, I thought that was awesome, so to say. And then bringing us to, uh, you know, 2022. Um, Where we're still the... number one in innovation and companies. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. But I guess, I guess you could say the degree of... Uh, <laughs> malfeasance in in our in our institutions and even some of uh you know whether it's quantitative easy, easing and by the way um it, it seems bad to me and i'm sure maybe there was a good argument for it you know um at, at some point but you know i guess kind of being an outsider and then just kind of looking in and i'm thinking about the you know the recessions and the hyperinflation and you know i mean um you know quantitative easing and the uh the, the direction of our I guess you could say our financial system here. And then some of the almost, I guess you could say, uh, and I don't mean to put this crudely, but almost the incestuous dealings between, let's say, uh, Wall Street and Washington, D.C. And not to name politicians, but, you know, certain ones that have been accused of insider trading. And it seems like there's a very, there's a lot of strong inclinations that that may have happened, uh, you know, for instance. So I think for me, it is the lack of faith in and um seeing how things played out because i at least i at least have some semblance of when things were at least much better so to say right. so actually kind of well, seeing, it, seeing it why seeing it now it's happening? like why is this happening and linda disagrees with me and i do not speak for the blockchain chamber of commerce before i say this i'm gonna be very clear <laughs> why is this happening because we got rid of regulation we all think we're individuals. Sure. We don't want them to have transparency because if they have to have transparency, you have to have transparency. Right. But here's what people need to what understand. What was the name of the act? Um, and I think it was in the late 70s Glass or early 80s. Uh, no, like Glass-Steagall? No, yeah, Glass-Steagall, no. they basically Glass unwound. Okay. Yeah, they right. unwound it all yeah. because um, it came in because the savings and loans collapsed and went out of business, basically. Because, right, because investment banking used to be almost more like almost relation relationship banking. It was much smaller. Well, that's um, on the wealth management. I will tell okay. you, on the end I was okay. in, nobody gives a crap whether they like you or not. You better give them sure. actionable information that they can transparently understand and check, 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 and check because you're impacting people's business. And sure. so what is happening and why you feel awful is because we went to round lots where you had to buy a hundred 
a lot of people didn't know this. You had to buy a hundred shares in order to be executed at the top. And so people would want three shares. Well, that means you get the worst price of the day because you're not around right. long. Right. And now we've got AI machine learning. And so what is not working is the automation. And we keep blaming the people who can't stop progress. We can blame them because they're not doing well. Absolutely, we can blame them. And then they're gaming the system behind the scenes because they can't say right. to people in the public because it would frighten them because they don't have a solution. So you don't go out and go, hey, guys, everybody's screwed, you know, but we yeah. don't know how to fix it. I agree it. with you, Tracy. I don't know why you said I don't well, agree. No, 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 but it makes it sound like well, when Linda, Linda and I have conversations sometimes. I am not I am not for big regulation, but I also know from somebody who works right. on Wall Street in the wild, we have what happened in 2008 when the Glass-Steagall came in. But here's what I will tell you. If they can figure out what bucket people could go in, and for people who don't want to be in a bucket, that's fine. Have a hybrid thing that these people over here, they don't want to know what bucket. But here's what's going to happen with that bucket for people who can't define it for the bigger society. They're not going to scale. So going back to the 150% of more people putting money in cryptocurrency, the problem is right now, and the reason why before the midterm election, the SEC is getting ready to name basically platforms, exchanges, is because that 150% is tapping into all the people like you and me and other people who are dissatisfied with what was left for us sure. that we didn't have a decision in making, but we can't blame businesses because they're in business to make money. Right. But we can blame them and not thinking about what the impact was and figuring out the solution to make it less. And so what is happening, the original of cryptocurrency and Bitcoin people were people who made $110,000 or more or young people who made enough money that they can lose some stuff, but they didn't have to worry. But this next group is basically um, twice the number of Hispanics and black people are investing in Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, not Bitcoin. I'm just going to say cryptocurrency because it's not really Linda. Right, I apologize. It's really cryptocurrencies across the way. And that's why they're calling for a subprime burst, just like what happened in 2008, because you have a group of people, while it's not going to affect our economy in the same way, because they're not as big a part, like crypto hasn't gotten big enough to be that impactful as a burst. It's not like the mortgages and the subprime lending that way, but that group is absolutely going to be damaged. So what you're looking at from the regulator's perspective is economic st stability and national right. security. And so what seems like very ricochet is because, you know, call it, they got caught with their pants down because they were still trying to right. be, deal with the bigger economic impact that jobs were going away and, Machines are coming, and this is what I want people to hear. It's not doom and gloom. Machines are coming for the jobs they do really well. But they there are things humans do really, really well. It's just that we haven't figured out because we're so we're in the building phase of this next phase where they need to plug in. And right. what happens is we bring a whole bunch of engineers in the room and say, This is awesome, this is how it's gonna work, but we don't feel like we should buy the people who can tell you what your technology is going to do to impact people. And until right. that changes, you're going to have this really awful feeling like the people are gaming me, whether it's businesses, politicians, right. you know, whatever industry. And it feels awful, Adam. And I agree with you because it's like, help me because I, right. you know, I'm i trying to fit in here and do what you tell me, but don't put an ad up that says work harder. 
Right. And you know what? I wanted to add something to that <laughs> is, as well. And, um, and then two questions. So, you know, and especially because I'm kind of a history nerd, but a lot of the regulations that came out of the World War II era and a little afterward, you know, some of these were the footing, you know, for economic, you know, stability with, you know, FDR and, and, you know, and afterwards. So, you know, it, you know, it certainly, you know, it certainly has its place. And, you know, from what it looks like to me, that era, I guess, between maybe 1946 and maybe 1966, 67, a lot of people seem to describe that as almost like a golden era of like upward you know, mobility, but I guess maybe, you know, cross like Tr uh, Truman, Eisenhower, Kennedy, and, and a little bit of, you know, a little bit of, you know, Johnson. And I do realize uh, a lot of uh, meaningful regulation came out of that period. In fact, you know, we have the F FDIC, you know, that's one of the, that's one of the, uh, you know, cornerstone ones that we all still, I guess you could say, benefit from and are protected from. My question is, and to play devil's advocate, actually in favor of the SEC, is there some other, mechanism that undermines the sec when trying to put in meaningful regulation whether that's in dc or something else because my feeling is this i'd imagine that you know there's you know there's a fair amount of bureaucracy anywhere you go to the smallest office to the biggest office and i can imagine there's a lot of people who applied worked at the sec to really do some good so <laughs> to say but i but i kind of wonder is there some sort of law is, is it lobbyists? Well, is, it, is it something yeah. else that kind of maybe pushes? Okay. Know, yes and no. Yes. I'm going to give okay. you the nuances. So here's where I think Linda brings brilliance. We have some bases of stuff, but understanding nuances can make us use those in better ways than just going blanket. We're going to do sure. this. Right. So think about the SEC. They are matrix and they have lots of bosses. And those bosses are business and the politicians. Right. So think about it from a branding perspective for politicians. For them right now, there's if you go on LinkedIn and you look in the New York Times, the backlash from minority leaders against crypto right now is rising. And that's because you had these finfluencers and people saying, this is how you're going to right. catch up. Yeah, and I get yeah. how you could do it. So they have that piece of it in a very right now, people feel unstable. There's a lot of hot burning passion. So for the SEC, where we would like them to take reasoned, when I say reason, because I do think they're taking reason, I'm going to take that back, where they would like to open up the circle of people to help inform the decisions. They have two things playing right now. They have a hotbed of instability because people can't figure out what is the path to income in a dynamically changing world where right. in the generation before you, guess what? They paid for your MBA. They paid for you to upskill and they told you how to make money. And now we're like throwing everybody out. And we have these people who say they want to be entrepreneurs and they want freedom, but don't know how to do entrepreneurship or I call them involuntary entrepreneurs. And so they're juggling a lot more than just the regulation. And so in the real world, they take these short steps, but they bring in informed people that Linda knows in the circle to actually fix the problem that they're trying to fix in a more, in a different way in, in understanding where the compromises can be because it's better. 
But right now there's this real push pull because you have a whole group that really feels like this is a national security issue. You have businesses over here who are not in fintech who understand that when we start talking stable coin and tethering, there's right. going to be an impact on the business that they can't predict. They're not saying that they think this is worse than the Fed or whoever was the last person. They now see them, whether it's technology and it's supposedly decentralized, they have now become something that is the middleman for them that they can't understand the risk in yet. And right. so to your point, Adam, a lot of this stuff is knee jerk as all get out. And, you know, when we think about pendulums, when we are trying to always just react and this is where we are right now, it's right. going to swing in really uncomfortable ways, but at some point, and you're going to have both sides of the extremes arguing, arguing about all this, but at some point they have to bring in people like Linda and her, group that are very informed who are not um to her point for her this is about humans and yeah. dignity and figuring out how we work in this new universe and she is the bridge that helps make better policy and that's what we need to encourage is to take it out of the hands of people who have agendas only who have the money yeah. to show up and bring yeah. in the other people who could bring the, I don't want to say ethics, but it's almost understanding the impact on all stakeholders and opening up to the points of view so that there could be solution-based regulation around right. all this. No, and listen, that's, and that's, you know, you know, wonderfully put. And, you know, by the way, in all fairness, if I think of the most powerful organizations in the United States and, you know, I, I could be wrong, but as far as reflex, I don't think of the SEC. You know, I think of other mechanisms that kind of exist in the United States that really kind of, you know, make the rules. So this is kind of in fairness to the SEC, you know, as well. Like, um, and this is what I mean about, you know, what other factors, what other, what other powers or bureaucracies exist out there? Perhaps these are also undermining the SEC at the same time to do anything meaningful. It's whether not undermining them. I'm going to put you back. And okay. I need... I need Linda to pop back in here because she really is the expert, but from a big system thing, sure. they had a meeting. They bought, brought all the regulators together. Right. Yes. And they were paralyzed. And why they were paralyzed was because nobody wants to be that lightning rod. I see. Yeah. They're passing the hot potato because right. until it can be researched, the first people out of the box are going to be the ones everybody wants to get rid of. But somebody has to act. And so that's why you're seeing you have to report your crypto on your right. taxes. You have to because they don't even know what the market is. So let's take it on the tax, <laughs> you know, the tax piece of it. Sure. Um, the SEC says, well, if you're going to take out the middleman and we haven't and you're saying your argument is we don't want to regulate this and make you the broker dealer, the communication protocol in a world where you've taken out the middleman that can educate and now we have fin influencers instead of broker dealers that are the outside people right they don't have the solutions and it's like a hot potato and then linda will tell you this you know and they're looking at how do we clean up the central bank and put money across and digital money and so they're all like crap which is the one piece because they can't boil the ocean that we can make an impact and they're going to get some right and they're going to get some wrong. But we also need to get out of the, I'm on one side of this. I hate it. I'm on the sure. other side. I don't like it because here's the deal. Nobody wants to be over-regulated and certainly businesses. And they do not want to invite extra regulators into the business. And you don't want to invite extra people into your personal life, but there's a fine line between, you know, 
I always tell Linda, I think of Lord of the Flies. We all come together and think we're going to do oh, good. I remember that movie, yeah. wants to be really selfish. Because it, was, it was a book, away. Adam. He said he remembered it. I, oh, yes. Yeah. I'm just messing with him. <laughs> yeah, but Linda, oh, I know that. pop in here because I don't want to play Yeah, but Linda <laughs> popped in because I feel like Linda, for yeah. me, is the app button. Because I finally talked to somebody who was just not, I have a corner and I've already picked my team. She has very reasoned discussions that help me better understand as somebody who speaks in business terms, how to translate it into business terms. So that when I talk to people, I bring a better conversation in my circle of influence. Right. And that's what is needed in all this. So I would, I would posit this question from both of your collective experience experiences, and I guess this would be the million dollar question. What skills are going to be required to future proof ourselves, whether it's children now entering the educational system and now, and whether it's adults, um, how, what skills are they going to have to seek? And, you know, now I'm thinking about the uh, 14 year old girl who earned the Salesforce certification. You know, if that is going to be the level of, uh, of, of competition, you know, there's going to be a few more things to think about. Hey, listen, I'll be the first one to tell you, I don't think I even started earning, let's say some of these certifications until I was 35, 34, 35. So I'm thinking like a 14 year old girl is already doing this. You know, it begs the question, what are what are the skills that society is going to have to focus on to be competitive? And are we going to have to revamp our uh, public education system? Because I'm thinking to myself, I, I want my son to earn, I want my son to learn like a C plus plus and Python or solidity or Node.js. Like I'm thinking about like some of these things now, or at least something regarding machine learning and AI. So. Yeah. I'll let Linda go. Yeah. The, the power of discriminatory thought in my opinion, is the most important skill that we can teach our children and that we need to exercise ourselves. And I know everyone's like, oh, you shouldn't be discriminatory. Like, I'm, I'm not going to the, you know, the discrimination against any entity, religion, you know, et cetera. Right. This is the ability to apply reasoned thought and look at both sides and centrally and everywhere in between, go. What is the scope of reality that is here? What? Who are the players? What? Right. What's the impact zone? What could happen in this over time? Right. Not. Not just this myopic view of, well, yes. you know, if, if I buy today and it goes up fifty percent tomorrow, you know, I'm gonna, right. you know, cash in my bag and go buy a Lambo. Like, oh yeah. View. Or if we regulate this. Everybody who ever bought crypto is going to have to fess up and pay their taxes and we're going to put right. you know, a trillion dollars into the, you know, no, the, the, these are both insanities that if we apply discriminatory thought and actually look at the, what is right in our current structure right. should be maintained and what is wrong in our current structure that can be shifted differently now because we have a technology that enables it. When we start discriminating, and let me just say, we have in the blockchain industry have taken and layered on top of Bitcoin technology, the majority of broken models that are part of the current financial system. 
Okay. Yeah. And now we're seeing the outcome of that and we're going, oh, we should regulate on that. Yes, we should, because it was broken and needed regulated in the first instance. Right. And it's broken and needs regulated in the secondary instance on top of blockchain. But there is a infrastructure, there is a level of accountability, there is a trust model that is possible with technology where we don't have to be living in a debt-based system right. forever. Because that that's what the current monetary model has created, is a debt-based system. And there's aspects of it that are really powerful. And the, the U.S. has had global dominance and been able to positively influence different areas across the globe because of that. So right. I'm, I'm not saying that there's a net negative in how things have been managed. There's been a lot of positives that have come out of it. But there is a time of transition that's enabled by the current technology. And if we don't take this moment in time to apply discriminatory thought, not just to get our agenda, to get more taxes and to, you know, sure. get bad actors out to, you know, there's there's reasons to do certain things and the regulations can and will come. They, they should come. I'm, I've, I've been on the I mean, one of the first debates that I had at the Blockchain Chamber of Commerce, I was on the side of smart regulations. And I'm still very much on the side of smart regulations because that means you are doing the hard thinking right. to not exactly. only look at what is bad, right? So you can say bad actors use Bitcoin, you know, there's, but sure. you know what? It's, it's auditable. You know, chain analysis can give you the entire blockchain history of every wallet, every transaction, every transfer. It is the worst vehicle for bad actors to use. Okay, this is the, the realities of what we have and how it's perceived are, are very starkly different depending on the perspective. And, you know, part of what we seek to do at the chamber and why I love conversations with Tracy is because we need to embrace that our personal perspective, our corporate perspective, our governmental, you know, entity perspective may not, not may not be, is not the only perspective. <laughs> and we should be able to step back and take a measured look at all of the the players, all of the people who are going to be impacted. And when I say people, it's not just people in the US. I'm talking about the people and, and not just the people in this generation, the people in the next generation. I mean, we, we have to have long-term thinking. If, right. if I didn't have that, I, I would not still be holding the Bitcoin that I bought 10 years ago. Like it just, you have to right. have a long-term perspective and, and you win collectively as a country, as humanity, when we, as humans get together and say, you know, this is a really, really important transitional time and we need to do the hard work and have the tough conversations and do this better together. Because if it's any specific group, any specific point of view that ends up creating our outcomes, we collectively will lose. And I'm going to parlay off that. And I wish you had invited Alex onto the panel because I'm going to steal from him and I hope he trademarks it. Um, I love his concept. What skill I, and remember I'm future of work and I answer from that. What skill do people need? And I'm going to use Alex's fluid intelligence. When I coach people who say, how do I adapt and become dynamic? I always quote a famous philosopher who says, you know, 
we need to selectively forget what we know so we can learn what we need to know. And so if you actually go back to data, because I'm a data scientist, I don't live a lot in a lot of opinions because data, you have to start somewhere. And so if you look at the data of what's coming, the biggest thing that you can teach your children is how to be a continuous learner, agility and flexibility so that continuous learning, agility and flexibility, so you could have fluid intelligence. Thank you, Alex. I love that word. Um, to fit in a very dynamic, quick changing world, that is the skill you can teach them because the bottom line is, you know, we're going to low code, no code. We're going to where the entry level to go in is not such a stretch because your children are in a world where, you know, the platform doesn't matter because they go in and play whatever they need to do, the leap. And so when you look at the graphs, it, computer science, you know, you look at it, 70% of people will lose their jobs by 2030 and they all know it because, yeah. you know, they're self-healing, there's programming. And because things change, that ability, though, that computer science learning does help you with is that whole piece of critical thinking and ecosystem building. And in a world where you're going to have to figure out how you can be flexible, agile, and a continuous learning and have fluid intelligence. Thank you, Alex. Um, you have to have, um, you, you just have to have base skills that you could have jump off of, but you also have, have to have brutal honesty. And I'm going to become a coach right now. Everybody tells me they want to be an entrepreneur. There is actually a difference between a gig worker, a freelancer, a solopreneur, and a business owner and a consultant and they right. all make money and there's this perception to make money now you've got to remember you're going to have four to six um lanes of income and you're constantly going to be rolling things off there's this perception that you have to be brilliant and come up with something different you don't you can make moments money in moments of time you know in some very un you know like exciting ways but it's easy money that you can make that goes with the fun, maybe if you have a brilliant idea and you want to build a business, but yeah. building a business where you have to have lots of people, lots of employees and really um, a brand is not a business. And that's why I tell everybody who's just hiring personal brand <laughs> branders, <laughs> a brand only works if you have a business and knowing the business you're in, whether you're a gig worker, freelancer, solopreneur, entrepreneur is really important so that you can have, you know, that, flexibility and agility within the lane that makes you want to help you live the life you want to live and that continuous learning and all of that together to me really is what Alex said, this fluent intelligence and that soft skills and hard skills and the ability to live really in a very fluid world. Yeah. And I'm going to speak into that because my, my background is in special education and I'm regged special ed, you know, gifted, trained, certified. Um, this, this is a time in history where the genius in every child, in, in every human is being more and more appreciated. And, you know, in the, the workforce, the neurodivergence, um, I, and I, I raised my hand um, as, as participating in that group because I have dyslexia. Um, there's there's a place for that different perspective, that different way of looking at things, um, yeah. and and when we when we're beginning to be in this universal framework of things, 
the ability to to see that model and to to have perspectives around it that aren't neurotypical is going to be really really valuable and so yeah. as as we progress and and we bring in multiple perspectives to have this conversation i i want to be sure that i mean we're we're talking about diversity from the the point of you know is is somebody in the middle class lower class are they somebody that um was in a different country and was raised with a a different cultural perspective is it somebody who has a different way of looking at things because of a neurological um flow that may be different from the average you know this is this is the 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 net collective of humanity that we need to be drawing from to be able to have the best possible outcome and so i'm i i, I love how our conversation has kind of come full circle and oh yeah no, i'm going to speak it. to the influencers because i i know we started the conversation a little bit at the, yeah. at the beginning um you know the the reason that there is such value in people who do the the influencing because they have something powerful to communicate that that power is is drawing a collective awareness and if you can tap into multiple sources of collective awareness you can aggregate the collective intelligence and so it's it's a really interesting you know i i know we kind of started the you know crazy, crazy TikTok, you know, you know, side of things, but there, there is real value in understanding how this, you know, this structure of humanity has, has um, taken place in the, the social media aspect of our digital world. And so, you know, continuing to, to work together. And one of my hashtags oh, yeah. is better together because it is, it's it's mandatory like it is necessary so that the world that we're shaping is going to be in the best interests of any child or grandchild or you know the third fourth generations Absolutely. this is this is the time to build better with an amazing technology stack that has so much power for positive outcomes um we just we just need people having the honest conversations to help us get to the correct standards and implementations and regulations and models that work for people. Well, that is. A, my, and Adam, a, can I give my tagline? Because I'm going to ask means, you. Like, yes. Well, sure. no, no, because I'm going to. I want you to give me a tagline. So sure. my tagline: hers is better together. Mine is an empowered learner is an empowered earner, and I'm going to stop there. What is yours? Oh well, this is the tagline I've always used, but uh, you know. Played, never, I guess that's how I usually say it. So I think you should always play to win and never fear losing. I think one of the things that I recall in school growing up is that, you know, um, making a mistake was like walking on eggshells a lot of times. And I kind of thought to myself that really, that really kind of, you know, that really kind of, um, stops people from really taking chances or really kind of getting into the nuances of trial and error. And I think, in fact, it makes people more thin-skinned, you know, over over time, too. I think it, and I think it's great that you you worked with um, you worked in special education and dealing with, uh, uh, you know, I guess, children with uh, different types of, you know, I guess, neuroatypical. Was that the term? Neuro, neurodivergent. Neurodivergent. Uh, atypical um, genius. 
at a different yeah. level than most people can appreciate. I mean, there's a lot of different ways you can look at it. Yeah, because you know, I, I just remember, I just remember as a you know, just kind of growing up, and ma- and I think the culture has changed a lot because I think there's now more of an open mindedness mm-hmm. when it comes to let's say dyslexia and things like uh, ADHD, which by the way, actually I had, and I had to figure out growing up how to um, essentially create special ways for myself, you know, to learn. Because I just remember, like, I think the first few years in school. A lot, I, I had a bunch of teachers that were relatively dismissive. And I and this was the early 90s, so there wasn't really a whole lot of you know knowledge on it. But you know, and of course it hurt my feelings as a kid, but I also knew they were wrong. Cause I because I thought to myself, I'm like, you know, why is why is this switch not turning on in class? But if I take this book home, I go through it in like eight hours and I can like outline the whole thing and it just you know makes sense to me. And you know, the fact of the matter is I had to learn how to play to my own advantages, uh, you know, after you know, after a while too. And, you know, that was a little bit hard at first, but it ended up being a very, very helpful thing later in life, especially when it came to, you know, law school, um, you know, automatically in most law schools, like the bottom one third fails out. And a lot of it has to do with you have to be able to uh, play to your strengths as far as how you best efficiently study. That is really it. Um, and I've and I've seen some awesome study habits and I've seen some terrible study habits. But, you know, I'm thinking to myself, you know, growing up as a kid, you know, Linda, if, let's say if I had let, let's say you as a teacher growing up, you know, I think I'd probably be able to overcome some of those obstacles at least a little bit earlier, you know, earlier on. Because like I said, there wasn't a whole lot of awareness, you know, back then. So I remember kind of when I figured out my groove as far as how to study, you know, then I kind of started blowing people out of the water. And then, you know, for me, it was kind of like a philosophical or spiritual middle finger to them. You know, when I saw those, let's say when I saw those professors again and, you know, let's say I saw my name on on like Dean's list and stuff like that. But it was a tough period. And I think that if you have, let's say teachers like this, um, if they can shorten that period of adjustment, I think it will make people, um, you know, much better prepared. And I'll tell you this. And the reason why I say like, never fear failing and always play to win, because I used to be so self-conscious of it as a kid. I used to kind of always, I used to be very, I used to always like, double check and triple check and quadruple check. And then sometimes I would trip myself up. So like it kind of ended up being this rumination type of thing. So some of those habits I really had to figure out and navigate, you know, out of those. And I, and you know, just from reading about different entrepreneurs, whether it's in blockchain and other facets of tech or anywhere, some of the most successful people, they have a resilience um, against failure. And in fact, I don't think they even recognize it as failure. A lot of times I think they actually, really recognize this valuable data input. So okay, guys. Okay. I'm gonna make you all happy because um I really talk about this. I'm a parent of three dyslexic children and I have actually changed school systems. Wow. And so here's what I will tell you because I have a different take because we were in the group and they were still trying to figure out what this is where you have really smart kids and what they can't they can read a word but they can't read a book. Uh you know what does that mean? And so what I will tell you, there has been a really big move. And what's going to be shocking for people out there, would it surprise you to know that MIT and Stanford actually have a job board where companies like the biggest hires in the world put their jobs to hire neurodivergent people? Would it shock you that in 2015, Microsoft did a context of how to make their technology on day one neurodivergent friendly? And there is a there's a place wow. you could go in your Microsoft and use it differently, whether you have ADHD, dyslexia, whatever it is. And it will actually make that experience based on what 
helps you do what you need to do. But here's the other piece of it. In the world where getting straight A's um, was the win, the joke is it's not that they're resilient. They couldn't fit in the box. People want to survive. Yes, they are resilient, right. but they want to survive. In a world where things are dynamic and changing and think about cybersecurity, absolutely. They would love you if you're a neurodivergent. There are whole government agencies overseas and um, when they are looking at intelligence, they hire the neurodivergent because what they need is the person who is different. And so corporate America is making this quiet switch while everybody's still, we still have teachers who think that if you don't follow my rules, put an APA versus ML listing in your paper or on your data show, then you get an F. Well, in the real world, what they need is people who can be innovative, see things differently in order for them to be competitive and to succeed. So while they used to have to go to entrepreneurship, the irony is probably some of the few people who are going to have jobs and get W2 job, uh, to, um, jobs are going to be the people who can't make it with the traditional system that keeps saying they fail. And so when you look at some of the big companies very slowly, but surely you're noticing they're dropping things like you must have a BBA. You must have an MBA. All you're seeing them drop, 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 drop. And so while we had a moment dropping time, off, not dropping it into, but yeah, dropping, it's dropping out the job order. So let's take the Salesforce piece. They're looking for somebody like that. Who's going to think out of the box, whether it's that way traditionally or what they're starting to do with resumes is, you know, it's not certificate is not enough because in a world where we're all unbranded and that's why I mean self-awareness, you need to know who your brand is and what you want to create for you personally. Right. Um, in a world that's unbranded, you can't just throw a certificate up because they need to understand what you are doing personally in your portfolio with this, because right. they can't assume by your title, your certificate or anything else. And this has been, these portfolios have been the biggest win for the neurodivergent community because it allows them to showcase what they have and what companies want to hire in non-traditional ways. And when you think about companies like Stanford and MIT, and you could go on this job board and Microsoft and all these people have an alternate interview. And if you look at the CTO of Google, he did his thing. He's severely dyslexic. Wow. You can go through a total different interview process and they say, hey, if you want these people and they are top companies posting on their high paying jobs, this is not their branding when you're posting on the Stanford MIT right. board, do good. Um, Cause I go back to they're in business to make money. Not that that's evil either because them making money makes you money. So right. if you're in their system. And so what I would say, when we look at the future of work, some of the skills that made success people successful in the past will not be the skills that make them highly successful in the most competitive, well-paid jobs in the future. Wow. And I have to say, I think neurodivergence would make a great follow-up episode to this in a few <laughs> months because I've been reading about it more and more, and I think it's going to become a greater part of society. I think especially now, a lot of these neurodivergences, so to say, are being looked at as assets and really in the right context, you know, they are. And just kind of an anecdote, I remember um, back in law school, one of the top students in my class. So he had a near perfect GPA, which is very, very 
is, I would say, almost near impossible to get, especially given the curve and other factors. He was he was actually dyslexic, and he didn't tell me until like maybe towards like uh, his third year. And I, I said, "How do you go through all of these case law books?" I said, "I said, you know, it's it it seems it seems to me very like you know insurmountable." And he had his own system, and it was through trial and error. Um, and he said he had to figure it out. He said it was he said it was tough, but like you know, for me, I'm like this this guy's a genius. Like, you know, he's he's blowing everybody out of the water, and you know, he does it. You know, he was like the most relaxed guy in our class too. Everybody was stressed out, myself included. I'm like, everybody's on their third and fourth cup of coffee, and uh, you know, I'm thinking to myself, you know, in the, you know, it, it's funny how these neurodivergences um, almost end up becoming a, a practical superpower in of themselves. You know, and yeah. and even if I was to talk about ADHD, like I can, I have a tremendous amount of an- energy naturally. So if I need to go through a tremendous amount of work in a very focused state, um, I can do it. But it also requires like a large amount of time to recharge as well. So that's something like over time, growing up till now, I've also had to learn, you know, managing energy. Because, you know, if you if you overcommit, you, you, you kind of end up having to um, kind of pay for it later, you know, whether it's a few days or the next week. And it ca- kind yeah, of catches I, up to you. I, I think you need to invite Alex. She has provided just a, a yeah. lot. Of I know. I'm sitting there because I need you need to. But Alex, because this all gets yeah. back into where we started you know, in a world where you're going to have a lot of ways to make money in a, in a new, whatever web three turns out to be, whatever, you know, or metaverse or whatever you want to call it. And as new assets come onto the market, digital assets, um, basically around smart contract, all of this is, all this is there for us to tap into. And so it is an exciting time, even though the numbers feel a little scary, it's an exciting time if we can tap into it and it can be inclusive and it can. And I really love um, Alex's fluid intelligence because what this system does, if we do it right, it actually brings in fluid intelligence because we actually have inclusion in the real sense of the word. So it's a really exciting time for all the things that the technologies behind cryptocurrencies and blockchain and all the things that are coming up, it really is exciting, not scary, but I have faith. And I know Linda, I think you do too, that people will start changing the dialogue so that it is really impactful and positive for the people involved. Wow. Yeah, and joining the, the voices of blockchain. Um, that's yes, one of please. the initiatives that the chamber is using to really bring this collective conversation. Yes, please. By, by all means, talk about it. Global. Yeah, we, we have leaders globally that are contributing their perspectives from their vertical, from their country, from um, you know just, just their personal point of view to the conversation so that we can have instead of you just reading one post of one person's point of view, you're getting 20. And then you're getting a balanced conversation, a very respectful conversation back and forth between people who may be at very different levels in companies, maybe in very different you know locations globally. Um, but, but many of them are the best in class. They are powerful people um, in their their lane, they they have the 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 skill set and and the knowledge base to really help us collectively understand things better. So it's it's part of that better together model. And Tracy has, has actuated on it. Um, she's the editor of the the blockchain 
um, voices or the voices of blockchain. Sorry, that's my little dyslexic switch. Um, but this is this is a time to to connect and communicate effectively so that we we can have positive outcomes and not go to the the North Ireland model of you know just polar you know right we, we yeah. hate them they hate us you know and and the sides never twain will meet um and I, I know that's right that that's probably an excessive and I know there's been a lot of good work that's happened between humans um, in Ireland I'm, I'm just saying you know there's there's kind of that you know orange and you know, people oh, get yeah. a, a visual of what I'm talking about when I use that example. But my grandmother is uh, is Irish. She she talked about it all the time. So hey, I'm, I'm Danish, English, Scotch, Irish. So I mean, oh, I, yeah. I've got these. <laughs> I'm right there with you. <laughs> so awesome. yeah. I, you know, this was an amazing episode, and I would definitely like to have a follow up, maybe in a few months, and you know, yeah. when whenever our schedules you know overlap and at a convenient <laughs> time, and we can further expand on neurodivergence and future proofing and really extrapolate what are going to be the useful skills and how to play to your own strengths in this, you know, new, you know, uncertain world with, you know, with all this stuff that's kind of on our collective shoulders now. Yeah. Always play to win and never fear losing. That's what I always yeah. tell myself. Yeah. Always play to win <laughs> and never, never fear losing. <laughs> But listen, it was an absolute pleasure having you two on, and I'm glad we finally uh, we finally got the date and we finally did the live stream. So um, thank you so much. This was very informative. Uh, I will be uploading this, so, so check out Spotify and the other platforms I'll be I'll be listing. And you know, I, I'm looking forward to listening to this again, and I'm definitely looking forward to having both of you back on and pick up from here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. All right. Take care. Thanks. Talk to you Bye. soon. Bye.